This is Sober in the City. Real life, real addiction, real recovery. For Sober in the City all week, subscribe to our podcast by visiting SoberInTheCity.com or search Sober in the City in the iTunes store. Stick this in a shot glass and shoot it. It's Dangerous Debbie Strand. Sober in the City is brought to you in part by Believe Treatment Center. At Believe Treatment Center, we understand. Call now. 1-855-874-2354 or visit believetreatmentcenter.com to find out how we can help and how your insurance can pay for it. We're back with more Sober in the City and I'm Debbie Strand. If you think you or someone you care about might have a problem with drugs, pot, alcohol, food issues, sex, gambling, porn, smoking, huffing, give us a call. 800-SOBER-05, 800-SOBER-05. I'd love to hear from you and what your opinion is on the topic. Tell me if you're staying sober. Tell me how you're doing it or tell me that you got wasted yesterday. Tell me why. What was the resentment? Who made you say, I'll show you, I'll hurt me? What did they do? We'll put them out there on Sober in the City. Give us a call. 1-800-SOBER-05. Visit us at SoberInTheCity.com. Listen live on the Sober in City app for Apple and Android devices and share them with your friends. Give them to the sponsee that's driving you nuts. Turn them onto the show. We'll talk to them all night. 1-800-SOBER-05. We're talking about heroin. Who's using it? Why? How do you get sober? And what doesn't the media know? I'm going to do this real fast so nobody gets bored. Corey Monteth, Sid Vicious, Dee Dee Ramone, Kurt Cobain, Lenny Bruce, Jim Morrison, Billie Holiday, Jimi Hendrix, Judy Garland, Elvis Presley, Chris Farley, Jim Belushi, Whitney Houston, Corey Heim, Janis Joplin, Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, River Phoenix, Dana Plato, Anna Nicole Smith, and Philip Seymour Hoffman. There's 20 drug overdoses of people that you should recognize. I recognize James Peter Faraday. He was my fiance, 33 years old. He died of this disease. He died of a methadone overdose. Methadone. The thing that's supposed to get you off of heroin. Well, guess what? That can be abused too. In an article about Philip Seymour Hoffman, the media talked about the four people that were being arrested as his dealers. The neighbors said they were quiet. They never suspected anything. I think mainly heroin users are pretty quiet people. They like to sit still and be sleepy and nod out. And some people do get bursts of energy. I've seen that after their initial dose kind of settles in. But it seems to me when I was around the heroin users, they were really helpful to each other and to not let each other get sick from running out of dope. And the signs of the detox would be very large pupils and cold, clammy, sweating. And they overall feel like they have the flu. They're going to be curled up. Legs are going to be kicking around. That's why they call it kicking. You feel like every muscle in your body is just being tortured, especially any old injuries that you've had. Shortly after that will come all the glamour of heroin, the throwing up and the diarrhea. It was the crackheads that I saw that were loud and having the cops called all the time, and they were more dying of violence. But the heroin addicts, they're dying of overdoses. The article about Philip Seymour Hoffman also talked about the stamps on the baggie. Some had Ace of Spades, some were the Ace of Hearts. 
they acted as if that was some clue that was going to lead them to the region in Afghanistan where the dope was grown. It was crazy when I read the article. The only thing it's going to lead them to is the local head shop where the baggies all over the place have those dollar signs, hearts, lips, whatever. It's no big deal. They were just right there next to the crack pipes where you can buy the screens. You could buy five for a dollar, a crap load for five dollars, which always confused me. <laughs> anyway, Hoffman died. He had had 23 years clean. At one time, he'd fallen off the wagon in 2013, and he was in rehab in June of 2013. People do stay sober. If he'd had cancer, it had been a big uh, hero's welcome to someone who fought off the disease of cancer for all those years. I'm going to go to Robin in West Milford, New Jersey. Robin, weigh in on this topic. Why are the celebrities getting all the attention and there's so many people dying of heroin overdoses and drug overdoses and alcohol-related deaths every day? Hi, Debbie. Um, I think that it's just because they're in the forefront. You know, they're they're a more visible, they're more visible to all of us. I I think that it's it's somewhat of a tragedy that you know we recognize only the celebrity deaths um, when so many other people are dying every day. Um, you know, when a celebrity dies of a drug overdose, everyone grieves and they say, "What a wasted talent!" and um, you know, I think that we need to remember all of the other people who are overdosing every day and all of the talent that they may have had hidden and that they are people's brothers and sisters and wives and husbands and children and parents. And, um, you know, one one death is, is no more tragic than another death. You know, it's not, you know, people, if, if just an everyday person dies from a drug overdose, most people think, oh, well, you know, it's just a junkie, you know, what difference does it make? But if a celebrity gets an overdose, everyone is grieving for the lost talent. You know, how is, how how are they different than the person on the street? That's what I think about my fiance. He had a genius IQ and a photographic memory and handsome. Ooh. Gosh, you know, I mean, what potential did he have? What talent was wasted? But because he wasn't on film and in screen and videos, nobody knew who he was. I don't see, when I see these celebrities getting so much attention for their death, it's like, he died. I mean, that was my whole world. I didn't understand how the world was still going on, how people were delivering newspapers and going to work. Why wasn't the whole world grieving? As far as I could feel that day, everything had crashed. And people act like that with the celebrities, and they don't know them personally. And I understand that admiration of them to some degree. But I want the media to to put out there that there's 100 people a day dying of drug overdoses. It's not the random. And I mean, some of these names that I just read, those are people that died 20 years and plus ago. But people are just familiar with the names. Exactly. Um you know, in my area, and I live in the country, I live way up in the hills, and it is amazing to me. I attend 12-step fellowships, and the majority of the people that are in those rooms are younger than my children. Um, it's nothing to go into a meeting and see, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-old kids that have been using for years. Um, it's it's just it, it's it's a tremendous problem where I live, um, which to me was surprising when I moved there because it is so far removed from the big cities, you know. And these kids are the are the last ones that you would expect. And um, you know, unfortunately, I've seen 
struggled an overdose. Um, we, we've lost a lot of young people in my neighborhood, and it's 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 very painful because they are so young, and they, you know, in my experience, most addicts are are talented, very talented in one way or another. They're generally the nicest people you'd ever want to meet. I liked how you said that, that, you know, they have a tendency to look out for each other and make sure that they're not sick. Well, you know what, when we take the drugs away from them and, you know, and they begin their recovery process, you know, that doesn't go away. There's still that nice person that looks out for people. You know, they're still talented. And, you know, when they get in recovery, that gives them a chance to build upon that talent. As you're talking, I'm thinking about my fiance. And, um, you know, most days, most days I just go on about my life. It's been almost 11 years now, but I'm still in touch with his mom. I'll talk to her maybe once or twice a year. And, you know, that man, that man mattered to us. The man mattered big time, and he was very kind and very giving, and and that's that's just what I see in those people. And and I think a lot of the people that are filling themselves with drugs and alcohol, like myself, were just tender-hearted people who like it's like we came to Earth without our insulation. We we're so excited to go live life that we jumped down here before God filled us with our insulation and everything in life was, we we're just like super sensitive. We're just really sensitive, kind people. Yeah. That's what you're seeing in the, uh, the people that you're experiencing. I agree. It seems that, um, you know, at times reality is just too harsh for, for people that are that sensitive. And we, we either look for a way to take away, a, you know, we look for something to take away feeling or enhance a feeling. I, you know, for me, I think it was more of a take away the feeling because I couldn't, I couldn't deal with life on life's terms. I couldn't deal with reality. And, you know, Debbie, I used for over 25 years and heroin was my drug of choice. And it took me to places that I would not wish upon anyone. Um, you know, and I, I was a high school dropout. I didn't finish school. I was a very young mother. And now, with 18 years clean and sober under my belt, um, you know what? I work in a corporate environment. I come to find out I have a great talent for numbers. I can wheel and deal with, with people, you know? And uh, just think what would have happened if, if, or what could have potentially happened had I gone to college and at 20 years old as opposed to going when I was in my 40s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do think about that. I think about, you know, what years did I waste? What did I throw away? What else could I have accomplished? And we've talked about that in other shows, too. In fact, uh, shows, I think, 77 was the cost of addiction. And, and some of those costs were the fact that I feel like the choice of a family was taken from me because I was in addiction and I just kept putting it off and putting it off. And then I get sober and it takes a few years to get your head on straight. And then I'm going, okay, I think I need a man for this formula. (laughs) It's just like, it's just not going to make sense. You know, I mean, so there, there goes that opportunity. And I don't know if I'm going to miss that or not, but I feel like I lost that choice. You know, and to kind of get back to the, to the topic with, with the celebrities, um, you know, I, I certainly don't take anything away from from them or their talent. Um, you know, I just think that 
it, we, we put them on a pedestal. And, you know, a death is a death, regardless of, of whether it's someone famous or whether it's our next-door neighbor or, in your case, your fiancé. You know, each death is tragic. Every single life that we lose to an overdose is tragic, just horrible. And, um, you know, it... it I, I don't know what to say, Debbie. <laughs> you know, I, I just, get I get I, a I lot of that. I don't know what to say. I get a lot of that when um, if I'm sharing with sometimes someone new that I'm dating, and it's you know you know I was engaged and I had this fiance and and, and he passed away and during that period where you know I was in in uh, my addiction and they'll say oh you know was it a drug overdose and I say yeah and they go like oh like like oh that one's a write off that one didn't matter I mean that's that's the attitude that I get from general people in the general population. And they wonder why people that are in recovery tend to gravitate at times towards other people that are in Mm -hmm. recovery. We understand. We understand how tragic that is. We understand that that's a loss just as well as if I'm sober and my current boyfriend gets hit by a a car in a car accident and is killed. Same thing. Right. Right. And I I love the analogy that you made um, to a cancer victim or I shouldn't say a victim, but someone who who has cancer. Um, you know, this is a disease. It's a disease. It's recognized by the American Medical Association as a disease. But if someone on the street level has an overdose, it's just like, oh well, it's just another junkie. Mm-hmm. You know, totally right and, off. and it it drives me crazy that so many people look at it that way. You know, this is a disease. It 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 changes the the chemistry of the brain, you know, and I don't know. It's just it, it's very frustrating for me. <laughs> it is frustrating, and that's why yeah. I wanted to do the show about it because, I mean, I'm walking around for you know it's been several weeks now since um, Mr. Hoffman passed away, and and I enjoyed his work too, you know. And people are coming to me. Oh God, did you hear about it? Yeah, I heard about it. Okay, yeah. next subject, you know, and, and, and they're going on and on about it. And, you know, and you should know about this. And you no, know, you should know about all the people that die. You should know about the hundreds and hundreds of people and the thousands of people. As a matter of fact, I'd read a statistic in the first segment. Let me bring this back up again. In 99, in 1999, the United States only, 16,849. 16,849, almost 17,000 people died of drug overdoses. In 2010, 38,329. Wow. Look at the difference between that 16,000 and 38,000. And, and I don't That's like to leave off the 849 and 329 because those are people. Those are not just numbers. Those are people. Those are human lives. Those are brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, husbands, wives. Exactly. I, I don't want to beat anybody up, but um, I think I think those numbers have gone up so drastically in part due to the large pharmacy companies and the easy access that people have, especially young kids to their their parents' medicine cabinets. You know, today, as opposed to when I started using, um, you know, when I started using, they said that marijuana was the gateway drug. Mm-hmm. Now, the, gate, the gateway drug for opioid addiction is pain pills that come out of the parents' medicine cabinet. It took me a long time to get to pain pills. started with a little alcohol and a little pot. It took me a lot of years to get to that. I, I think that that needs to be put out there. Um, and, you know, a little more often because a lot of times parents don't realize it. 
They right. don't realize that, that the enemy is right in the medicine cabinet. Right, absolutely. And parents, people, when you're done with your medication, when you get 30 pills from the dentist, you get 30 Vicodins because you had a uh, filling put in and you take two of them, the rest of that bottle, don't save them. If you're saving your medication, you might have an issue. You might want to take a look at that yourself. But kids are going in the cabinet. They're getting started. They're going in those cabinets and they're taking them and they're dying. So, um, Robin, thank you so much. It was a lot of great input from you. I want to go to Steve, who's in Henderson, Kentucky. You wanted to weigh in on the celebrity angle of it. Steve, welcome to Sober in the City. How are you? Oh, thank you. Great. Doing doing fine. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. You wanted to comment about the celebrity angle um, and what's going on with all the attention with the celebrities. Would you like to go ahead and comment on that? Sure. Uh, I think there's lots of different factors that, that play into that as far as why, you know, uh, they're recognized or uh, when there's tragedy versus the anonymous person. Um uh, you know, one, uh, people, as has already been mentioned, know the celebrities, you know, from works and so forth. And, and uh, so there's some commonality there. And and, um, and then also, you know, a lot of times they just, uh, people will be angry. Uh, it's just really interesting what you've seen, especially with Hoffman, you know, Seymour or Seymour Hoffman uh, in recent weeks, as far as the mixed, uh, on the one hand, you know, people will say, what a tragedy. And uh, on the other hand, there's there's um, such intolerance and, and anger, you know, like they had it made. Uh, what an idiot. Uh, how selfish of him. All these statements that I find to be um, disappointing. Yeah, and it, and that to me, it shows, you know, the, the disease concept, as um, Robin mentioned, you know, I think that has a lot to do with it. You know, as far as people just don't understand, um, you know, addiction, um, let alone recovery and relapse. And so, um, you know, a lot of people don't realize the dynamic effect of, or process of recovery. You know, that if there is no cure, and so tend to not mention, you know, his uh, twenty-three years of continuous sobriety and 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 focus on the uh, on the relapse. You know, that's a really good point because after I had come to this realization that I wanted to do a show on this because so many people were coming to me and talking to me about it, I said, well, you know what? I better take a look at a couple of articles and, you know, so let me see what actually happened. And that's when I really became infuriated. And I saw that he had 23 years of sobriety. And I was like, who's talking about that? Why am I only hearing in the media that he died and had, uh, you know, ample supply, I would say, by any drug addict standard. He had an ample supply there for, you know, ready for his use. Um, But nobody talked about that 23 years. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment. Absolutely. And and that's that's really tragic. And and I just feel like that that, that's... you know, that's something that's just not talked about very much, you know, and, um, you know, on the one hand, you know, in the 12 step inside the rooms, the 12 step it's anonymity is a spiritual foundation, you know, and, and one of the traditions so on the one hand, people don't uh, and are not supposed to advertise uh, their uh, sobriety, at least at least not give credit to uh, a particular program. Right, right. And I agree with that, too. And so 
maybe that's why we don't hear more about it. I use my picture and I use my name and the tradition says to remain anonymous on the level of press, media and film. But the letter to the media says that if you do use your picture or your last name to not mention or affiliate yourself with any one individual program. And I've had people that have known me on Facebook for five, six years, write to me and go, by the way, what fellowship are you in anyway? It's like, eh, don't worry about it. You don't need to know. It doesn't matter. I'm in 12-step recovery. But with Philip Seymour Hoffman, after he was already gone, I'm sure they would have no problem publishing a picture of him demised. That's how the media is. That's how sick the media makes me. They showed every other detail, the fronts of his apartment and the people that were arrested and interviewed the neighbors. And to not say that he had in every article that he had 23 years of continued sobriety is just such an injustice to that man. That's a huge accomplishment. Yes, it is. Yeah, it sure is. And that's, uh, you know, I think think a lot of times there's a lot of transference of First people's anger toward uh, celebrities or anonymous people because of what in their own lives that have uh, hurt them. That's very true. That other people have been so, hurt, right? You know, where, when you have to, I have to ask myself, well, where's all this anger coming from? You know that they have toward alcoholics and addicts, and a lot of times I think it's it's from that. People, you know, alcoholics and addicts is, is widely known. You know, touch so many people's lives, you know, everybody has, his life has been touched by an right. alcoholic or addict, you know, or numerous ones. And then, uh, you know, relatives or friends or parents and a lot of them may or may not have gotten clean and sober. Right. So they've been affected a lot of pain. Sure. They've had a lot of pain. Maybe their parents were alcoholics and then they see other people that were alcoholics and they have no tolerance for it. And it's usually the people who are not alcoholic who don't have the tolerance for it because they can have some drinks and just quit. Why can't you just stop? I do. Right. We're not built the same. We're definitely not built the same. Steve, thank you so much. That was a very good point as far as what, you know, Robin said, as far as a brain disease. And, you know, I think the more that we could educate the the public about that, the better off we'd be. But, you know, one other thing, in, in the last year with the legalization, in the last several years, you know, with the marijuana, uh, you know, it's such a mixed message. Yeah, that, I agree. That it's harmless, uh, you know, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, and yet, on the other hand, uh, the hard drugs, the crack and heroin uh, are vilified. And, and uh, so I think that just kind of muddies water. Thank you so much for being here. And there's a great debate about marijuana and the legalization of marijuana at SoberInTheCity.com, show number 69. SoberInTheCity.com, show number 69. Great debate about marijuana. You bring up a lot of good points about it, about you know what drugs are vilified, what are not, what are bad, what, which are good. There's a lot of different opinions on this show, and I won't go into it here, but go ahead and take a listen to that show. I think, I think you'll be intrigued. Maybe we'll have to do another one. We're going to go to John in New York. John, you want to weigh in on the topic you hear what we've been talking about well i'm like uh most everybody i've got real strongly held opinions on this uh i think i think that uh you're every everybody's right so far in that and every death is tragic but i think that uh, our media tends to focus on that which is sensational and uh to do that they they make uh, make things much more lurid that they than they need to uh you know like describing how he was found they found uh Hoffman with a needle in his arm and you know x number of packets of heroin around his, his apartment and, uh 
you know, I mentioned to a friend that, uh, you know, say some uh, uh, CEO dies of congestive heart failure or has a stroke, and they don't say that they found him uh, with a uh, family-sized serving of uh, McNuggets and he had barbecue sauce all over his face, you know, and he was morbidly obese, you know, and they don't t- they don't talk about what was in his kitchen. They, you know, they don't do that. Okay? You're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but here's here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Uh, and, you know, you talked about, you know, people are unaware of the, the, the sheer numbers of people that are dying. I think if, if we were to go on the national news, on the national news every night, they were to say in the last 24 hours, 107 people died of heroin overdoses, or 103, or 98, or 112. Uh, what would happen is you would see a doubling down on the existing policy of interception, interdiction, and incarceration. And that's exactly the opposite of what we need. You know, that's one of the reasons people are afraid to try and get clean, is you know because of the criminal penalties associated with identifying themselves as an addict. What we need are, is more in the way of education and treatment. And I'm a, I'm a huge believer in uh, 12-step programs. Uh, I've been clean and sober uh, next in less than a month. It'll be uh, 30 years. Congratulations. But, uh, well, thank you. But I think that, uh, you know, everybody uh, coming off of heroin, most everybody, let me rephrase that, most everybody that I'm familiar with needs to be in a controlled environment. And to do that, we kind of got to out ourselves, you know, and say, hey, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to, to go into treatment and not out yourself. Yeah. And to do that, you know, there's a, there's a stigma associated with that, that, you know, uh, uh, if we were to spend a fraction of the money that we spend on incarceration, on uh, education and treatment, uh, we, could, we could make some significant changes, you know. And uh, I think a, a staggering problem or contributor to the problem is, you know, the increase in the uh, purity of the drugs that, that are coming into the country. Uh, you know, it's, uh, there used to be a, a courtship period where, you know, people could kind of dabble with, coca- with cocaine, with crack, with heroin with meth, and with heroin, uh, that's certainly not true anymore. The, the purity levels of uh, heroin on the street is so high. Yeah, John, I have to absolutely agree, and I thank you so much for being here with us at Sober in the City and for expressing those thoughts. Very important stuff. Sober in the City will be right back, and unlike the dope man, we really will be right back. When I got the news today, I didn't know what to say. So I just hung up the phone I took a walk to clear my head And this is where the walking led Can't believe you're really gone Don't feel like going home So I'm gonna sit right here On the edge of this pier Watch the sunset disappear. At Believe Treatment Center, we understand. We understand you are struggling. That's why our treatment nourishes mind, body, and spirit. We understand that recovery works differently for everyone. That's why we design individual treatment programs specifically for you. At Believe Treatment Center, we understand that it's not easy. That's why we offer a comprehensive scope of services, including nutrition, massage, chiropractic, and aftercare for you and even for your family. Believe Treatment Center is a 12-step friendly, state-of-the-art facility located 
located in gorgeous Palm Beach County, Florida. We are experts in all types of addiction and recovery, and we are proud sponsors of Sober in the City. To find out more about our program and how your insurance may cover your treatment, call us today at 1-855-874-2354. That's 855-874-2354. 1-855-874-2354. Or visit BelieveTreatmentCenter.com. Believe Treatment Center. We understand. The thought of my sons growing up without me inspired me to quit smoking. I talked to my doctors and then I threw away all my cigarettes, ashtrays, and lighters. I started exercising instead of smoking. Staying away from alcohol when I was first quitting was key. I kept on trying, learned something each time. Do whatever it takes. No matter how many times it takes. We did it, so can you. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CDC. My son Aiden has asthma. Secondhand smoke has triggered his asthma so badly, he ended up in the emergency room. My tip to you is, don't be shy about telling people not to smoke around your kids. Half of U.S. kids are exposed to secondhand smoke. If you or someone you know wants help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CDC.